We'll be in Matthew chapter 7 today, Matthew chapter 7. We've got a new sign-up sheet for the uh, special music back there on the uh, cork board in the fellowship hall. So if you'd like to sign up to sing a special, uh, we'd sure love for you to. And uh, next week, Lord willing, we'll announce our start of choir practice and um, all that kind of stuff. We've got to make sure we don't overwork Miss Kathy and uh, with the ladies group singing and stuff too. So we'll be aware of all that, but uh, that should be starting up pretty soon. We're continuing, I, I believe we'll go two more weeks, this week and next week, on the Sermon on the Mount before we go on to something different. Um, unless I just get on a roll today, we might finish it. But I uh, uh, want to look at some different thoughts. I couldn't come up with a good sermon title because there's a, a couple of different um, thoughts in this that didn't make sense for an easy sermon title. So Sermon on the Mount continued. There you go. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 this morning. Let's read starting in verse 1. It says, Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. How many times can you say judge in one sentence? And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but thou considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first... Cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. I've got this and a lot more content to cover this morning, uh, but let's ask for the Lord's help and we'll dive into it. Lord, thank you again for your word, and I'm so glad that we have for us this sermon that you preached. And in my opinion, these verses that we're covering today um, just hit so close to home. I believe there's so much within Christianity today that can be fixed if we just follow these verses. And Lord, I pray today as I present your sermon that I would do it clearly and I would do it correctly. And I pray that we would learn from it, be challenged by it, be encouraged by it all this morning. And Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Here we come to the... Uh, Kind of the close of the Sermon on the Mount. Next week will be the uh, official close of it. But I, I look at these verses, and as I said in the prayer, I think Christianity in America today, the problems in Christianity in America today, are really um, uh, hammered on in these passages as we close out the Sermon on the Mount. And you look at what Christ was preaching, and you remember Christ was preaching this sermon uh, over 2,000 years ago. And it's amazing that the same issues that religious people were having then are the same issue that religious people are having today. Not much has changed. Humans will human, as the cool kids say. Uh, they will always be this way because of our natural self. And so the things that Christ was saying, here's an issue with you today, and here's how you can fix it, are still issues that we're dealing with within, and I use the word religion, today. Christians today are still struggling with these things. So first of all today, I want us to see, we've kind of got two points, but they're, they're, they're long-winded, both of them. First point today is the full exhibited. The full exhibited. And we see it here as God touches on the person that is critical of other people. Uh, judging other sins, other shortcomings, uh, opens the door for others to do the same to us. 
And so when we're when we're pointing out and picking on the shortcomings of other people, it's going to kick the door wide open to do the same uh, to you as well. You think about uh, politics and uh, you got a politician who goes, well, this person back in 1978 did this. And then the other politician goes, oh, yeah, well, back in 1983, you did this. And now we're in the day and age of, of social media where now they're saying back when he was 12 years old, he tweeted this. And, uh, and it's, it gets a little ridiculous, but it opens the door for more attacks on, your, on the person who points out someone else's. And we see it all the time nowadays when you, when you approach somebody, if you approach someone and you say, um, uh, you know, you're doing this and this is wrong, very quickly, more than likely, they're going to turn around and say, oh, yeah, well, you did this or you said this or you acted this way. And they point it out to you as well. And so we see a couple of things here in this verses. First, we see a word of reason. Uh, we're looking at the fool exhibited. We see a word of reason, a simple command basically saying, don't judge other people, or at least don't, uh, and we're going to look at the word judge in just a second, so I won't get ahead of myself. Um, because we hear this a lot, right? Don't judge me. Uh, the old popular phrase from the not-so-great TV show of people being confronted uh, saying, you don't know me. Uh, you can't judge me. You don't know me. Well, the reality is, is when we're talking about judging, it's, it's typically in an area that we can see very clearly an issue. It's not a hidden secret. It's not a hidden thing in their life. It's something that everyone kind of knows. But here we see uh, this thought of being careful how we judge people. This is not talking about civil court. Things like that are necessary. There are things in Scripture, in the New Testament especially, Titus, Hebrews, and Peter, that talk about these, um, these lawful things. Uh, so it's not talking about if someone kills someone, that they shouldn't be taken to court, they shouldn't go through the process and be judged. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, it does not include within the church those who are acting inappropriately or teaching false doctrine. The Bible teaches us the importance of church discipline. You know, it's funny. I read through church discipline and scriptures and how, how we're supposed to handle things. And it's probably an area that most churches don't do right. Um, uh, we don't confront sin enough. We don't, um, when sin is open, we don't handle it biblically in many cases, unless it's certain issues. But uh, nonetheless, there is a time and a place for those things as well. It's not to say sweeping sin under the rug and those sorts of things. It doesn't mean that we can't make judgment on those who have done wrong. I hear parents say, well, when I was a kid, I did that, and so I can't tell my kids not to do that, which is the, the most foolish thing you can possibly think as a parent. Um, you are required by Scripture to uh, raise up a child in the way she go. You're required by Scripture to discipline a child when they do wrong, to correct them, to help them, to instruct them, to teach them how they're supposed to go and not allow them to make the same mistakes that you made. But what's being dealt with here is the same thing that's being dealt with all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, and that is the heart. The heart of the person that is being judgmental. The heart of the person that is being critical of other people. A critical, a fault-finding spirit. And it causes us to condemn people without facts, many times, uh, or most often without remembering our own faults and what we do. Look at verse 2. It says, For with what judgment ye judge ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Judge not, verse 1, that ye be not judged. And this command to, to not judge other people, again, it's, it's, it's a word of reason. It's not because 
we should help people get right. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But we have to be careful because the world will say, don't judge me. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, however you judge other people, you better be prepared to be judged yourself. And it's going to happen. God says, I'm going to judge you. And uh, God says, I see what you do. I'm going to judge you. But also, I believe that oftentimes in this world, the way that we treat people, we're going to end up seeing it back on ourselves as well. And we should expect that coming in. Then he goes into a word of ridicule in verses 3 and 4. And he says here in verse 3, Why beholdest thou a mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? The word mote here is, is basically a splinter. And he's saying, why are you so concerned about this small piece in your brother's eye, but you're ignoring the beam that is in your own eye? Uh, It's intriguing because it's so true. Oftentimes, we as Christians especially, we overlook our own faults and we see others so clearly. We say, uh, man, that person, they're prideful. And yet we haven't taken any time to look at our own pride in our life. We see another person doing some sin and we overlook our own sin. I've talked about the Christian bubble before. As a kid, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in the ministry. I grew up going to church. I grew up in a Christian school. Uh, All those things. And then I went to college at a Bible college. All of these things put me in this bubble where I always looked at the outside world as this wicked place. And because they drank and because they smoked and because they did drugs and because they were violent, My sins, mostly interior, where most people could not see them, they weren't that big of a deal because I wasn't as bad as them, at least. And that's me with a beam in my eye looking at the splinter in other people's eye. I would look at other Christians, other kids my age, and see the things they did and go, well, at least I obey my parents, generally speaking. At least I speak respectful to my parents, so I'm not as bad as they are. So it's okay what I'm doing. Because in the grand scheme of things, I'm still better than them. We've said this before. We don't measure ourselves with other people. We measure ourselves, we should measure ourselves where God desires us to be. So it's not, uh, they're this bad, therefore I'm here, I'm above them, so I'm okay. No, it's God wants me here, and I'm here, I need to get better. And that's where the measuring should be. The beam, meaning a massive piece of timber to support a roof. All right, so that's a a big piece piece there. Uh, The moat, the splinter that is there. Christ is showing how foolish we can be, worrying about the splinter in someone else's eye and ignoring the beam sticking out of our own eye. And when someone is doing wrong, we are supposed to help them do right. The Bible tells us that. But with the beam coming out of our eye, we're not going to be able to help the way that we should be able to help. We're not going to be able to clearly see their issues to be able to help them. Be able to clearly see what they're going through and what they're struggling with so that we can properly help them. Romans 13.10 says, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, but, or excuse me, therefore, love is fulfilling the law. Love is helping others fulfill the law. Love is us fulfilling the law by loving our neighbors, uh, by loving our enemies. Um, we, are not, we are not loving them if we are thinking and working ill towards them or critically thinking of them. But love is the fulfilling of the law. 
If I love my neighbor, I'm fulfilling the law. If I help them do right, I'm helping them fulfill the law. That's what love is supposed to be. And so uh, if you truly love someone, you're going to help them do what is right. If you're truly trying to help someone, you're going to help them do what's right. And that's what verse 5 brings up. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt clearly see to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. Don't pretend to help someone when you have a critical spirit. You ever heard the person who says, um, I'm only saying this because I love you. Well, that's not going to be a good thing that comes out next. Um, I'm only doing this because I love you. I know parents say that to kids when they discipline their kids. but um, uh, and, and it should be true. Hopefully it's true. Uh, but uh, I'm only saying this because I love you. You are ugly. Um, you know, that's not, that's not helpful. I'm only saying this because I love you. Your cooking stinks. Let me teach you how to really cook. That's not helpful. You can help someone cook or learn how to cook better without telling them that their food is horrible. Right? I mean, I know these are silly illustrations, but it's the truth. And oftentimes as Christians, you know, we have this pious attitude. Well, I'm condemning you. Well, I'm, I'm telling you how horrible you are because I love you. There's a right way to go around it. There's a right spirit to go about it. A critical spirit is one that is really puts us on a pedestal. It's prideful. And we're looking down at people saying, oh, you naughty person. Now I'm going to help you do right. Come up to my spiritual level. It's not what God desires from us. And when we do that, again, we're overlooking our own sin. We're overlooking the things in us. Um, John Phillips, he's a commentator I use a lot. Uh, he says this. It's kind of a long phrase, so bear with me. It says, The power for removing an offending splinter lies not in the ability to detect, expose, and condemn, but in a Christ-like love that fills the heart with a desire to be helpful and kind. I'm going to say it one more time. The power for removing an offending splinter lies not in the ability to detect, expose, and condemn, but in a Christ-like love that fills the heart with a desire to be helpful and kind. You see someone who has a moat, a splinter in their eye. You're not there going, here's your problem. Let me tell everybody else about it. And let me uh, 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 tell you why you're wrong and, the, and, the, and what you're going to face because of it. It's a condemning spirit. But to remove that splinter out of your neighbor's eye, you should go about it in a Christ-like love with a desire to be helpful and kind. And, you know, it's funny because uh, personalities are different, right? And I've met people who are, they are loving and they care about you and they want to help you. And their personality comes off as, as someone who, they're just, they're not quite as um, gentle as other people, right? You've met people like this. They're just not quite as gentle. Uh, you know, their heart is good. The motive is good. And, uh, but honestly, when we receive help from someone, when someone is confronting us about sin in our lives, if we come about it from a humble spirit, we're going to be able to receive it better and let them help us get that splinter out of our eye. But, but looking at it from the other angle, we should have the desire. And if our desire is to be loving and to be kind and to be helpful, then we're going to approach the situation far better than if our thought process is, is critical. This person's wicked. I'm spiritual. Let me help this person out. 
Um, so often when we help people, it's prideful. And we see it every day today, people videotaping their kindness. That's not kindness. It's pride. It's selfish. You want to help someone, go humbly to them and seek to help them. Don't go announcing it to everybody else. Well, I went and talked to this person. They were doing this. And I helped them. You know, we talked through it. We got, we got it fixed. Or there's no hope for them. They're doing this. I, I went and approached them about it. They're gone. They're off the deep end. Never going never gonna to happen. <laughs> None of that's kind and helpful. None of that is sincere, honestly. It's critical. It's prideful. And it's the wrong way to go about it. And, uh, and there's just nothing more unlike Christ than being critical of other people. I mean, think about Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If there is nothing greater of an example for us than that when it comes to being critical of other people, there it is for us. The perfect example of Jesus standing there and saying, these people that beat me, that spit on me, that put a crown of thorns on me, that whipped me and then put cloth over top of my wounds and ripped it off of me, these people who tried to make me carry my own cross up the hill, these people who were shouting, crucify him, release Barabbas, these people, God, forgive, for they know not what they do. And yet here we are walking around, as pious as can be, thinking God punished them. God judged them. That's just not Christ's spirit. It's not Christ-like. And in, in, in lieu of all of that, as we are doing that, we are more like the people chanting, crucify him, than we are like the Son of Jesus, the Son of God, hanging on the cross, our example of love. And all the while, we're overlooking our own sin. We've got a beam sticking out of our eye, and when we turn our head, we're knocking people over with it. Take care of that first. Then you can actually help people. But as long as that beam is in my eye, I'm going to be critical. And I'm not going to be able to see clearly how I can help them take care of the splinter that's in their eye. It's an important thing that we as Christians must do to represent Christ better in this world. Number two, first of all, we see the fool exhibited. Number two, I want us to see the father praised. The father praised. Look in verses 6 through 12. The Bible says, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before the swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if, ye ask, uh, whom if his son ask bread, he will give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, he will give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Therefore all things, whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even unto them, or do ye even so to them? For this is the law and the prophets. We see uh, the Father's love revealed to us. It starts off with a word of warning in verse number 6. And when it talks about the dogs and the swine here, it's referring to false teachers. It's referring to people who ruin godly things, holy things. People who dirty that which is pure. And, uh, and here it's the idea of, again, having a discerning spirit of understanding what you're listening to. 
And just because we're not to have a critical spirit doesn't mean that we should not, or that we should be gullible and ignorant. Um, a critical spirit is one that is uh, prideful and harsh. Being critical of that which we hear, uh, being a critic, listening to what is said and, and measuring it by God's word, that's important. We've got to do that with everything. And here we see this, this, this thought again of, of uh, the uh, giving that which is holy to dogs, casting pearls before the swine, but you've got to be careful unless they trample them under their feet and turn and rend you and ruin you and kill you and tear you. That's a problem. I work a job that I meet a lot of dogs during the day. And uh, I'm careful, especially after lunch, that I don't smell like any of my lunch when I'm walking around dogs. I don't ever put food in my pocket, um, anything like that. And uh, when I meet a dog, I'm always very careful. Even if I've met the dog before, I'm always very careful when the dog comes up to the truck or when I get out of the truck and he comes running. We have we had some pretty gnarly looking dogs. And uh, of course, the ones I'm scared the most of are the little ones. Those things are just the devil. But um, the big ones could do more damage, right? So, so I'm, I'm more careful. With the little ones, I can Yeah, <clears throat> uh, but the uh, the big ones. See, we're on video; they can't see that far, so it's okay. Uh, the 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 big ones, though, if they turn mean, I'm in trouble. And uh, so I've I've met these uh, two Rottweiler dogs, and they are, I mean, fatter than fat, huge dogs, um, massive dogs, friendliest dogs I've met. Um, but I'm still careful every time I go, because if he sits on me, I'm in trouble. Uh, I'm telling you, this dog is massive. And, um, but uh, nonetheless, uh, a dog can do some damage, can it? And we've seen on the news, kids that have been killed, people that have been killed. You've seen the videos of the police dogs chasing down people. And uh, there's some damage that can be done. And so if a dog comes and attacks you, he's going to rend you, tear you apart. Uh, those swines, you ever seen, uh, um, what's that yellow, golden, what's that movie? The dog. Old Yeller, thank you. Uh, swine are dangerous. It's a horror film. Uh, <laughs> they can they can do some damage, and that's the same thing that people who teach false doctrine, people who are teaching the Bible incorrectly, they can do some damage. And God says, "Don't give them who are going to ruin holy things, clean things. They are going to hurt you." So that's the warning that we're given. Um, then we see this wondrous word in verses 7 through 11, an invitation that just reveals God's love to us. Verse 7, it says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. I've talked about before, there are times in my house where I'll say, Hey, Katie, where is whatever? And she says, Have you looked for it? The answer is no. But God says, He doesn't say, Have you looked for it? When you ask, He says, you're going to get. When you seek, you're going to find, which is what Katie's saying. If you look for it, you'll find it. Um, when you knock, the door will be open. We have so many needs in our life, and God says, ask. We have so much that we're trying to understand. God says, seek. We're looking for wisdom and guidance and opportunity. God says, knock. It's all here. It's the invitation to experience God's love and provision for you. Take the invitation. 
He expands it in verse number 8. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. How can we live the life that God commands us to? We can do it through God, asking God for help. It means we're depending on Him. Seeking shows that we're desiring to live for God. Knocking shows the idea of taking advantage of the opportunities that are before us. And then he explains it further in verse 9 through 11, a great uh, and clear example of this for us. An imperfect father taking care of his children. Just like we looked at the birds last week and the clothes of the lilies last week. Again, he gives us the perfect picture here. He says, if your son asked bread, which of you fathers would give your son a stone instead? Which, by the way, Side note, it's a good example of parenting for us. We say, well, I'm going to make it hard on my kids so they can grow up and be manly or they can grow up and be tough. And you know, If your kid needs provision, provide. It's your job as a parent. Um, come back in November for parenting seminar. Um, but he says, if your son asks bread, which one of you are going to give him stone? If your son asks a fish, which one of you are going to give him a snake, a serpent? And then he says... Uh, um, in verse 11, if ye then, talking to dads, if ye then being evil, <laughs> I love that, uh, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more does the perfect God of heaven going to give good gifts to you, his children? You see, the, uh, the imperfect father still takes care of his kids, and we know there are uh, deadbeat dads out there. But uh, he says, how much more does a perfect father take care of his children? There are unsaved, lost, on their way to hell dads out there today who take great care of their children. And God says, how much more? Well, I take care of my children. There are good fathers, saved Christian fathers, who are still sinners, who are still uh, failures, who still make mistakes, but they do everything they can to take care of their children. And God says, I'm perfect. How much more will I take care of you? Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. I am the perfect father, God says. The dad is supposed to be the provider of the home. And he's supposed to follow the example of God. And God says, I provide for my house. Always. Perfectly. It's important that we understand that God will take care of us. But are we asking? Are we seeking? Are we knocking? It's the simple things, right? It's not a hard thing. It's the simple things in life. Those little things of obedience for God. Are we studying our Bible, reading our Bible, learning about God, understanding who He is? Are we praying? Are we talking to God? Are we using the example that God gave us here in this same sermon where He says, this is how you pray. This is who you pray to. This is what you ask for. This is how you praise. This is how you reverence. All these things involved in that prayer, He says, give us this day our daily bread. He's asking and he says, if you ask, I'll give. If you'll seek, I'll find. Or you'll find, excuse me. And if you knock, the door will be open. 
Um, and modern translation, if you dial me up on the phone, I'll answer. I won't hit ignore when, you're, when, when your name pops up on the phone. I'm here for you. Come to me. Then we see the Father's love reproduced here in verse number 12, what is commonly called the golden rule. It says, Therefore all things whatsoever ye would, would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We are to reproduce God's love. Because all of God's resources are available to us, it says there in verse 12 that the first word is therefore. Therefore what? If my Father which is in heaven will give good things, good gifts. If my Father, which when I ask will answer and seek, will, will help me find and not will open the door for me. Therefore, do these things. Socrates, Aristotle, Confucius, Buddha, all, all of those teachings, look at this verse as a negative thing. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. And that's fair to some degree. But God looks at it positively. Do to others. Love them. Treat them kindly. Not critically. Not judgmentally. Is that a word? Uh, treat them good. It's not don't treat them bad. It's treat them good. It's the same thing, right, at the end of the day. But it's a more, it's a more positive outlook. Treat them good. Do to others as you would have them do to you. We see these things that Christians go through, and we see these areas where, again, we are stereotypically, and I know that doesn't mean that everything is this way, but if you go ask someone today, what do you think about church people? I would assume, and this is just an assumption, but I would assume seven out of ten at least, at some point would come across something of a pious judgmental spirit. And that's so sad, but it's amazingly true. I've been in the churches before. Very critical. You don't look a certain way or talk a certain way or act a certain way. It's, it's a very much a, you don't meet up to our standards. Guess what? That's what the Pharisees did. <laughs> and God says the Pharisees are snakes. Um, hypocrites. And God lays out perfectly for us here how we should help people and not judge people. And again, I want to make sure we're clear on this. It doesn't mean that we can't say that's wrong. As a matter of fact, we should. We should say that's wrong if it's wrong. We should go to a friend or a loved one and say, what you're doing is wrong. But that's different than, than going, you're wrong. You don't match up to my standard. Who cares? Anytime that I've been approached by someone else in ministry that's pointed out the fact that I don't match up to their standard, I really don't care. I'm not trying to match up to your standard. But when God convicts my heart and says, you don't match up to my standard, that's a problem. And if I'm going to help other people, it can't be you don't match up to my standard. It's this is God loves you, and God wants to provide for you, and God wants to bless you, and God wants to help you, but the way you're living right now, you can't have those blessings. When a Christian is in sin, we ought to approach him, and we ought to, we ought to tell him, 
hey, I love you. God loves you, but what you're doing is wrong. And I mean, I'm telling you, the problem is, is we always try to go in and fix it. That's, that's not how it works. They have to want to fix it themselves. And then we go to God and we help them and we pray with them and we pray for them. And we teach them from the Bible. Here's what's right. But it's up to them to go to God and say, God, forgive me. I'm so thankful for the godly influences of my parents. And I remember I had a friend back when I was a freshman in college, a friend that was a lifelong friend, still is today. He said, I, uh, my lifestyle is one that you don't approve of. And he's saying, he, he announced to uh, the people there, and he, he said, you know, uh, I've hidden this for a long time, but this is what I am. And many people stopped talking, shunned, pushed away. My dad invited him over to the house. And he said, you know this is wrong. I know it's wrong. It's here in the Bible it's wrong. And he tried to make some excuses for why it wasn't wrong. And my dad said, that's baloney. You know as well as I do, it's wrong. But you know what? Um, my parents still loved him. And therefore, I still love him. Had my parents shunned and pushed away, I guarantee I would have as well. Now, that hasn't changed his lifestyle. But you know what? There are still people in his life who absolutely love him to death and desire for him to do right. And you know what? He knows it. It's not a secret. And you see, and there's, and there's millions of other sins out there, aren't there? And we tend to focus in on, on key ones, whatever. But my point is this. There's a right way to go about approaching someone who's living wrongly, someone who's in sin, any kind of sin. And it's not kicking them in the pants. It's pulling out the Bible, saying here's where it says it's wrong. You need to get right. And I will never be okay with your sin, but I still love you. And the moment you get right, we'll rejoice. And until then, I'm going to be praying for you. And I'm going to keep telling you that I love you, but I want you to get right. Don't be critical of other people. Take the beam out of your own eye. How does that? How do we do that? We've got to look in the mirror <laughs> and understand what our sin is and take care of it. And when our sin is, is, is perfectly taken care of, when our sin is forgiven by God, and when our heart is clean and our relationship with God is perfect, then we can clearly see how to help those other people. But don't overlook your own sin. And then claim the truths that are given there for us, showing the Father's love for us. Beware of false teachers. They will hurt you. Go to God. Ask. And you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open unto you. Because of 
if us being wicked, evil human beings take care of our own children, how much more will the God of all the earth take care of us? Are you lacking something today? Ask. Seek. Knock. Let God take care of you. Lord, help us, I do pray. I pray that our church would never be the stereotypical church, pious, judgmental, critical. But Lord, that you would keep us humble, servants, loving, friendly, or biblical in the way that we approach sin. And God, I pray that we would, as we have need in our lives for whether it be material things, whether it be spiritual things, Lord, that we will ask, that we'll seek, and that we'll knock. And Lord, may we comprehend just how good you are. May we take the example that you've given us of, of sinful humans and how they take care of their children, and how much more you'll take care of us. God, this morning, if we're not your child, there's never been a time in our lives where we've accepted your gift of salvation. God, today, would you allow whoever that may be, if there's anyone, Lord, would you allow them to understand their need for salvation and be saved today so that they then can be in your family, so that they, Lord, can receive your blessings. God, I pray that you'd help us. Maybe there's someone today that you'll put on our heart that is wrong or living in sin, and we love them and we want them to do right. Lord, would you help us to create, create in us a, a right spirit, Lord, that we can go and be a help to them God, would you help us to, to take a look in the mirror to see uh, in ourselves that which needs to be forgiven, that which needs to be cleansed. And God, today, may we bring it to you. We covered a couple of different topics today, but Lord, I pray that as you've spoken to our heart, we will do what is necessary to get it right. And I pray this in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, I'd like to ask a couple questions. Question number one this morning, because before we can do the godly thing, and be godly, we must be a child of God. If you're here this morning and you'd say, Preacher, there's a lot of things I don't know, but there is this one thing I do know. I know that if I were to die today, I know that I would go to heaven. I know that I'm saved. And I can rejoice in that. Would you slip your hand up in the air and put it back down? Second question this morning. If you're here this morning and you'd say, and Preacher, we talked about God taking care of His children. But to be honest with you, I don't know that I'm God's child. You'd say, don't embarrass me, don't call me out, but it'd be okay if you prayed for me. Is there anyone this morning that would say, I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know for sure that God is my Father. I won't embarrass you, I promise, but I do want to pray for you. Would you slip your hand up in the air and slip it back down? Anybody like that this morning? All right, Christian. If you're here this morning and you've been critical of other people, Maybe your spirit has not been pure, godly. This morning, would you ask God's forgiveness? Maybe this morning God's convicted you about a beam that's in your own eye. Would you ask God to remove it? And then lastly, we talked about asking, seeking, and knocking. God is good. God is perfect. This morning, maybe God's spoken to you about an area of your life that you haven't been asking about, that you haven't been seeking, that you haven't been knocking. This morning is the time to do it. And then to continue to do it moving forward. 
Would you stand with me, please? We'll keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed. The piano's playing. The invitation is open. You can stay at your seat. You can come to the front. If you'd like someone to pray with you, we'd be happy to have someone pray with you this morning. Well, let's just take care of the things that God's spoken to us about today.